Chapter 15 of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer. Translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15. It was winter, too, with snow and storm on the gray shore far down in the south. Wives and children were each busy in their own way, but their thoughts were with the men upon the sea, far, far up in the north. High up among the hills on a little mountain farm, there lived an old man with a white beard, the father of Cornelis Gumon. He groped his way about, out and in, and grew more infirm every day. Was it not strange? Once he had had such capital sight that he could distinguish a sheep one from another miles away on the mountain, and he could follow the boats and ships down below on the fjord, and knew them all and could give them their right names. Even in the lowlands at the foot of the West Mountains, right on the other side of the fjord, he could see a boat lying on the beach, and the smoke rising from the red and grey farms. And now he could scarcely see his own hand. Think of it. He used to earn a good deal of money by making birch brooms and wooden shoes, but now he only cut himself because his hands trembled so, and besides he could not wade through the deep snow to find material. His little daughter fed the sheep, the two cows, and the little fjord horse, and he was not so bad but that he could find his way to the stable and feel the animals, to see if they were properly cared for. But except for that, all he had to do was to sit on a stool beside the stove, and smoke a small iron pipe, keep up the fire, and let the time pass. The wind was always blowing up on the hills, and had gradually taken shape in his mind and become a person to whom he could talk. He had the child to talk to, and she did what she could, but at least one evening a week she went off on skis the three or four miles down to the nearest neighbour to chatter and enjoy herself with other young folk. No, the wind was far more to be counted upon. It was always about the house. The old man was now sitting alone and talking to the wind about Cornelis. They were both agreed that he was a capital fellow, not afraid of either a dram or a fight, and was good for two, if necessary, and kind-hearted if you only took him in the right way. They both agreed on this. And now the winter was passing, and soon he would be coming home with his earnings, and then they would be able to pay both the shop and the bank, and as far as the bailiff was concerned, Cornelis would be able to shut him up. As he sat there with his long white hair and beard, and his face looking ruddy in the light from the stove, the wind and he were as soon agreed about another thing, namely, that Cornelis must soon get married, for a grown-up woman was needed in the house, and he, the old man, though not getting younger, was still able to rock a cradle. Rock a cradle? Yes, said the wind. We, we. Rock a cradle? Yes said the old man as he watched the flames, and then he wiped his red watery eyes and shook his white head. Hush a by baby. If it were a boy, of course he would be called Ula after his grandfather. Boy? Yes, said the wind. Ula? Yes, said the wind. Hush a by baby. The wind that the old man was talking to was the northwest. It came in from the sea, took a leap over Blue Hill, and began to thunder and roar in among the mountains, 
and covered the fjord and the low-lying districts with spray and driving snow day after day. White snow-wraiths were whirled up sky-high and carried headlong through the gloom. Down on the beach the lights in the cottage windows could scarcely be seen. The cottages seemed to be crouching down and trying to hide in the snow from sheer terror of the storm. On one such evening the fourteen-year-old Olof Miran was coming on skis from the shop, which was also the post-office, with a bag upon his back and his cap drawn down over his ears. He had with him a number of letters that had to be distributed about the neighbourhood that evening. Lofoten letters! It is quite an event when one drops into a little cottage. "'Bless my soul,' says the wife, "'it can't surely be true!' She has been waiting and longing, and there it is at last. Is it really true? Andreas Ekra's wife, Anna Marta, had been to the bog to get some peat, and on her way back had a hurricane to struggle against upon a road that was nothing but snowdrifts, into which both she and the load sank. She pulled with all her might and waded in snow up to her hips, and if any one imagined that she was such a follower of fashion as to be wearing cotton unmentionables under her petticoat, he would be very much mistaken. Then the sled pitched on its head and had to be pulled up. Then its hind part sank deep in, and seemed to be sitting, looking at her like some animal, and the lashing and whirling of the wind and snow in her face were enough to make any one take God's name in vain and swear. Deuce take the drifts! She was only a woman, and she was covered with snow from head to foot. And there! If the sled didn't upset again, and the peat slide off and lie in the heap on the snow? No, when once the devil is let loose. But home it should go, and she swore once more, and then set to work pushing and pulling and struggling, as if she was raging and clawing and fighting with seven hundred little devils. The fire was burning on the hearth in the kitchen, and there was a light in the window when she at last came through the drift close to the kitchen door, and at that moment a boy on skis came past the corner of the cowshed. "'Hallo!' he cried. "'Is that you, Olof? You're not going around with Lofoten letters, are you?' "'Yes, I am.' "'There isn't one for me, I suppose?' "'No, but nearly everyone else in the neighborhood's got one.' Letters with money in, too? Yes, there are some with sealing wax on that I had to sign my name for. And the boy went on his way through the wind. Ah, oh, that Andreas! It was just like him. He never wrote home from the beginning to the end of the winter, and he never sent her a penny, even when the fishing was so good that he was rolling in money. It would serve him right if she left off taking any trouble about him, and upon her word she would make up his bed in the cowshed when he came home in the spring, and she would sleep in the bed in the living room herself with the two children. The horrid fellow! His old mother was sitting beside the stove, smoking chewing tobacco in a clay pipe. She was always scolding, and nothing that her son's wife did was right. But she herself had to be looked after and cared for like a baby. Anna Marta brought in the peat and brushed the snow from her dress, and as soon as she had had her supper and put the children to bed, she sat down to spin yarn for the pastor's wife. Someone had to earn a little money if the man of the house did nothing for his family, 
and as she sat there in the lamplight, tall and fair, and made the spinning wheel whir, she actually began singing a love ballad, even though the old woman beside the stove growled and held her hands over her ears. Meanwhile, the boy on skis had stopped at the little red house, where he found Beritilla wading through the snowdrifts with water that she was bringing in for the evening meal. "'A Lufoden letter! My gracious! Then you must come in, Olaf!' How was it possible that this beautiful woman could have taken Eleseus Hilla? It was true that she had had a child with another man who had gone away to America, but even after that— Brandt at Lindegord himself had said that she looked like a princess, and that her hair was like golden sunshine. And then she went and threw herself away upon Eleseus. Since then she had never seemed to have time to sit down. She was running about, indoors and out, from morning till night, perhaps to keep herself from thinking, for Eleseus had forbidden her to let her child set foot in his house. "'I won't have that bastard here.' he used to say. It was a little girl, and the poor board had sent her to a farm where she did a maid-servant's work, although she was only twelve years old. It was hard for her mother never to see her, never to be allowed to visit her. The beautiful woman was becoming hollow-cheeked and thin, but her hair was the same as before, and when she let it down the streams of golden sunshine fell almost to her feet. Now a Lufoten letter had come for her, and when she sat down, cold as she was, beneath the lamp, and read the few lines it contained, her eyes filled with tears. There was a ten-krona note enclosed, and there were many wives who would be only too glad if they received no more than half of that. Now, wasn't it true, as she always said, that Delesus was very good? Ulf Miran glided on through the wind and the darkness from house to house with Lofoten letters. At home at Miran there was great excitement, for the letter to Maria was a real true money letter with many seals upon it. When she took it in her hand she turned it over and over and held it under the lamp to see if it were Christopher himself who had written it, and round her pressed several heads, fair and dark, trying to get a view. When she opened the letter, several banknotes fell out, which she hastily replaced in the envelope. Her husband wrote that the fishing was quite extraordinarily good, so that things might go better at Miran after this. The bedroom door opened, and the old woman with spectacles upon her long nose appeared. A Lofoten letter! Well, I declare! Maria's mother, Lava Rutosen, happened to be staying there just now. She was to have gone home several days ago, but how could she, in such weather, and with the roads in such a state? She now appeared beside the other old woman at the bedroom door, and asked if it was a money letter. Yes, answered Maria. The two old women came nearer with inquisitive faces, but Maria had already hidden both letter and notes in her bodies. How are they getting on? asked Christopher's mother. Oh, they're getting on all right. There was nothing more to tell the two old people. A little secret between her and Christopher did not concern others. And Lars? asked Lava again. Yes, he's working as hard as he can, too. And the fishing's so extra good, people say. Is that true? 
it was her mother-in-law who made the inquiry oh it can vary so said maria clambering up on to her weaving stool and beginning to weave old people should not be told too much when Oluf had eaten his supper he had to go out into the storm again for there was still one more lofoten letter and they are not things that you allow to lie until the next morning it was for sidi skara who lived away up on the hillside with a lot of children and had very little of either food or firing no one in the neighborhood would have her husband severin on his boat because he was always swarming with vermin but he went north by steamer and shipped with a line fisherman year after year it was not much that he brought home but he was better than nothing both winter and summer the gray little cottage on the hillside presented a poverty-stricken appearance the buildings were in such a state of disrepair that the cows in the cowshed were almost up to their knees in water and the children wore caps pulled down over their ears and woolen gloves indoors because the wind blew right through the walls it was hither that oluf at last made his way on opening the door he ran into a skin coverlet that was hung up to keep out the draught within was a room in which stood three beds full of shivering children while a pale woman sat carding wool by the light from the stove she was wrapped in a large faded woolen shawl but she too was blue with cold she was not much more than thirty but her face was pale worn and lined and her eyelids so heavy that she seemed hardly able to raise them to look at the newcomer. A Lofoten letter. As she opened it, a five-kroner note dropped out. Dear me! This was wealth indeed. Sit down and I'll get you some flat bread and cream, she said, feeling that she must do something in return for the blessing he had brought them all. Oluf could not wait, however. He was the man of the house at home now, so he had to be off again. There were many other things for such a lad to do in a neighborhood where all the men were away. A little while ago a girl went out of her mind, and he had to go and watch over her for a day and a night, and then go with her and her mother to the asylum. And when old Truen had inflammation of the lungs, Oluf had had to get a horse from Lindegård and go for the doctor people felt that they must go for help to the menfolk that were left. He forced his way through the northwest wind, his face lashed with snow and sea spray, and with sand and seaweed that the wind whirled up from the beach. As he opened the door at Miran, the wind tore it from his hands and swung it back against the wall. The house shook, the sudden gust of wind extinguished the lamp, and the children began to cry. It is unpleasant to be out on such a stormy night. It is bad enough down by the fjord, but what must it be for those who perhaps are out on the sea? Lofoten, Lofoten. Maria had relighted the lamp and put the children to bed, and had returned to her weaving. The house shook with the wind, and it was a relief to her to have her fingers occupied when the gusts of wind threatened to lift the cottage and carry it away through the night. Was she afraid? No, but she felt inclined to sing, to cry out wild, incoherent words, only to drown those shrieks of anguish out in the darkness, where the storm was like a howling of evil spirits. She worked on with busy fingers. It was no ordinary piece of weaving, not homespun or linen, 
it was a hanging with figures woven into it and she had learned how to do it from the master forester's wife up in the valley when she was a girl this lady had lately come to her with a pattern for her to weave from and had explained the figures to her though she had learned about them in her school days it represented the legend of siegfried and at present she was doing the part where siegfried was riding on his horse crane through a great crackling fire on the mountain of franconia as she sat there with the storm about her she seemed to be looking at her own life as she wove the great legend of long ago into her web she was condemned to live here by the sea which she hated it would almost be a rest to go out of her mind some day but she would have to take Ristavid with her she could easily throw herself into the sea in weather like this but she must have Kristavid with her on such a night she sometimes felt as wicked as a witch almost as when siegfried drank the blood of the dragon she wanted to do evil she wanted to kill but but she must certainly have Kristavid with her it was near midnight and the storm was increasing but she sat on weaving the saga into her web the two old women had gone to bed in the bedroom and the children were whimpering in their sleep the cottage shook and the spray dashed against the window suddenly maria's mother-in-law appeared at the bedroom door in her nightdress without her spectacles good lord she exclaimed don't you hear the storm what must it be like in lofoden oh good lord the tall old woman came in and began to walk up and down the room with folded hands her black cap was still on the back of her head with wisps of white hair escaping from it there will be dreadful things happening to-night maria there will be many sleeping to-night never to wake again god help those who are on the sea to-night and god be merciful to every sinner that has to stand before his judge to-night we are in danger wherever we go to-night maria oh lord jesus she had experienced many such stormy times in years past and on a night like this she forgot that she was old and rheumatic and became young and active from the great things she saw it was as though the almighty himself came down and took her with him in all his power as though she could almost open the door and fly out into the awful storm lord jesus what a night maria what a night maria went on with her weaving her face pale and hard the old woman began singing the hymn for those at sea and it sounded weird in all the noise outside maria turned to look at the old woman in her nightdress walking up and down the room with wide open eyes singing to what she saw her face seemed to be the face of the very storm itself and her voice the voice of drowning men they dared not put out the lamp when at last they went to bed oh lord oh lord sighed maria too as she pulled the clothes over her head but it was not a prayer to him for god was only the power of evil in storm and disaster pray to him no she closed her lips tightly and hardened herself in defiance pray to him never never away up in the valley he was quite different he made the ground fruitful and ripened the corn there he represented still moonlit evenings the call of the black cock on the hill the trickling of the brook light nights and warmth 
but here beside the sea he was a different god, whom to know might be to lose one's wits. Ah, oh, if she could only take the children and move up into the valley some day, what a good woman she would be! But Christavid would have to come, too. There was a noise on the porch, and someone tried the door. Or was it the wind? No. Is it possible that anyone can be out in such weather? It was a neighbor, Ulina Truan. Don't be afraid, she said, but Peter Jusansa's girl's taken ill. Goodness me! exclaimed Maria, sitting up. You must get up and go there with me, said Ulina. She can't be left to lie there and die, and Ulf must go for the midwife. A little later, two women and a boy were struggling through the storm and the snowdrifts as they made their way along the road by the light of a lantern. End of chapter 15